Now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I may be able to make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Ah, this people has committed a grave sin in making a god of gold for themselves. Now, if you would only forgive their sin, but if you will not, then blot me out of the book that you have written. The Lord answered Moses, Only the one who has sinned against me will I blot out of my book. Now go and lead the people where I have told you. See, my angel will go before you. When it is time for me to punish, I will punish them for their sin. Thus the Lord struck the people for making the calf, the one that Aaron made. Exodus chapter 33 The Lord spoke to Moses, Go, you and the people whom you have brought up from the land of Egypt are to go up from here to the land about which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to your descendants. Driving out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, I will send an angel before you to a land flowing with milk and honey. But I myself will not go up in your company, because you are a stiff-necked people. Otherwise, I might consume you on the way. When the people heard this painful news, they mourned, and no one wore any ornaments. The Lord spoke to Moses, Speak to the Israelites. You are a stiff-necked people. Were I to go up in your company even for a moment, I would destroy you. Now, off with your ornaments. Let me think what to do with you. So from Mount Horeb onward, the Israelites stripped off their ornaments. Moses' Intimacy with God Moses used to pitch a tent outside the camp at some distance. It was called the Tent of Meeting. Anyone who wished to consult the Lord would go to the Tent of Meeting outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, the people would all rise and stand at the entrance of their own tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses entered the tent, the column of cloud would come down and stand at its entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. On seeing the column of cloud stand at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise and bow down at the entrance of their own tents. The Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, as a person speaks to a friend. Moses would then return to the camp, but his young assistant, Joshua, son of Nun, never left the tent. Moses said to the Lord, See, 
you are telling me, lead this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, you are my intimate friend, you have found favor with me. Now, if I have found favor with you, please let me know your ways, so that in knowing you, I may continue to find favor with you. See, this nation is indeed your own people. The Lord answered, I myself will go along to give you rest. Moses replied, If you are not going yourself, do not make us go up from here. For how can it be known that I and your people have found favor with you except by your going with us? Then we, your people and I, will be singled out from every other people on the surface of the earth. The Lord said to Moses, This request too which you have made I will carry out because you have found favor with me and you are my intimate friend. Then Moses said, Please let me see your glory. The Lord answered, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim my name, Lord, before you. I, who show favor to whom I will, I, who grant mercy to whom I will. But you cannot see my face, for no one can see me and live. Here, continued the Lord, is a place near me where you shall station yourself on the rock. When my glory passes, I will set you in the cleft of the rock and will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand so that you may see my back, but my face may not be seen. Exodus chapter 34 Renewal of the Tablets The Lord said to Moses, Cut two stone tablets like the former, that I may write on them the words which were on the former tablets that you broke. Get ready for tomorrow morning, when you are to go up Mount Sinai, and there present yourself to me on the top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you, and let no one even be seen on any part of the mountain. Even the sheep and the cattle are not to graze in front of this mountain. Moses then cut two stone tablets like the former, and early the next morning he went up Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him, taking in his hand the two stone tablets. The Lord came down in a cloud and stood with him there, and proclaimed the name, Lord. So the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God gracious and merciful, slow to anger, 
and abounding in love and fidelity, continuing his love for a thousand generations, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin, yet not declaring the guilty guiltless, but bringing punishment for their parents' wickedness on children and children's children to the third and fourth generation. Moses at once knelt and bowed down to the ground. Then he said, If I find favor with you, Lord, please, Lord, come along in our company. This is indeed a stiff-necked people, yet pardon our wickedness and sins and claim us as your own. Religious Laws The Lord said, here is the covenant I will make. Before all your people, I will perform marvels never before done in any nation anywhere on earth, so that all the people among whom you live may see the work of the Lord. Awe-inspiring are the deeds I will perform with you. As for you, observe what I am commanding you today. See, I am about to drive out before you the Amorites, Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Take care not to make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land that you are to enter, lest they become a snare among you. Tear down their altars, smash their sacred stones, and cut down their Asherahs. You shall not bow down to any other god, for the Lord, jealous his name, is a jealous god. Do not make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, else when they prostitute themselves with their gods and sacrifice to them, one of them may invite you, and you may partake of the sacrifice. And when you take their daughters as wives for your sons, and their daughters prostitute themselves with their gods, they will make your sons do the same. You shall not make for yourselves molten gods. You shall keep the festival of unleavened bread for seven days at the appointed time in the month of Abib, you are to eat unleavened bread as I commanded you. For in the month of Abib you came out of Egypt. To me belongs every male that opens the womb among all your livestock, whether in the herd or in the flock. The firstling of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. If you do not redeem it, you must break its neck. The firstborn among your sons you shall redeem. No one shall appear before me empty-handed. Six days you may labor, but on the seventh day you shall rest. Even during the seasons of plowing and harvesting you must rest. You shall keep the Feast of Weeks with the first fruits of the wheat harvest, Likewise, 
the feast of the ingathering at the close of the year. Three times a year all your men shall appear before the Lord, the Lord God of Israel. Since I will drive out the nations before you and enlarge your territory, no one will covet your land when you go up three times a year to appear before the Lord your God. You shall not offer me the blood of sacrifice with anything leavened, nor shall the sacrifice of the Passover feast be kept overnight for the next day. The choicest first fruits of your soil you shall bring to the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Radiance of Moses' Face Then the Lord said to Moses, Write down these words, for in accordance with these words I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So Moses was there with the Lord for forty days and forty nights, without eating any food or drinking any water, and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the ten words. As Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant in his hands, he did not know that the skin of his face had become radiant while he spoke with the Lord. When Aaron then, and the other Israelites, saw Moses, and noticed how radiant the skin of his face had become, they were afraid to come near him. Only after Moses called to them did Aaron and all the leaders of the community come back to him. Moses then spoke to them. Later, all the Israelites came up to him, and he enjoined on them all that the Lord had told him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses entered the presence of the Lord to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out again. On coming out, he would tell the Israelites all that he had been commanded. Then the Israelites would see that the skin of Moses' face was radiant, so he would again put the veil over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. Exodus, Section 8 The Building of the Tabernacle and the Descent of God's Glory Upon It Chapter 35 Sabbath Regulations Moses assembled the whole Israelite community and said to them, These are the words the Lord has commanded to be observed. On six days work may be done, but the seventh day shall be holy to you as the Sabbath of complete rest to the Lord. Anyone who does work on that day shall be put to death. You shall not even light a fire in any of your dwellings on the Sabbath day. Collection of Materials Moses said to the whole Israelite community, 
This is what the Lord has commanded. Receive from among you contributions for the Lord. Everyone, as his heart prompts him, shall bring as a contribution to the Lord gold, silver, and bronze, violet, purple, and scarlet yarn, fine linen and goat hair, ram's skins dyed red, and tahash skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and other gems for mounting on the ephod and on the breastpiece. Call for artisans. Let every artisan among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded, the tabernacle with its tent, its covering, its clasps, its frames, its bars, its columns, and its pedestals, the ark with its poles, the cover, and the curtain veil, the table with its poles and all its utensils, and the showbread, the menorah with its utensils, the lamps, and the oil for the light, the altar of incense with its poles, the anointing oil and the fragrant incense, the entrance curtain for the entrance of the tabernacle, the altar for burnt offerings with its bronze grating, its poles, and all its utensils, the basin with its stand, the hangings of the court with their columns and pedestals, the curtain for the gate of the court, the tent pegs for the tabernacle and for the court with their ropes, the service cloths for use in the sanctuary, the sacred vestments for Aaron the priest and the vestments for his sons in their ministry. The Contribution When the whole Israelite community left Moses' presence, all, as their hearts moved them and their spirit prompted, brought a contribution to the Lord for the work of the tent of meeting, for all its services, and for the sacred vestments. Both the men and the women, all as their heart prompted them, brought brooches, earrings, rings, necklaces, and various other gold articles. Everyone who could presented an offering of gold to the Lord. Everyone who happened to have violet, purple, or scarlet yarn, fine linen, or goat hair, ram's skins dyed red, or tahash skins, brought them. Whoever could make a contribution of silver or bronze offered it to the Lord. And everyone who happened to have acacia wood for any part of the work brought it. All the women who were expert spinners brought hand-spun violet, purple, and scarlet yarn and fine linen thread. All the women, as their hearts and skills moved them, spun goat hair. The tribal leaders brought onyx stones and other gems for mounting on the ephod and on the breastpiece. 
as well as spices and oil for the light, anointing oil, and fragrant incense. Every Israelite man and woman brought to the Lord such voluntary offerings as they thought best for the various kinds of work which the Lord, through Moses, had commanded to be done. The Artisans Moses said to the Israelites, See, the Lord has singled out Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and has filled him with a divine spirit of skill and understanding and knowledge in every craft, in the production of embroidery, in making things of gold, silver, or bronze, in cutting and mounting precious stones, in carving wood, and in every other craft. He has also given both him and Aholiab, son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan, the ability to teach others. He has endowed them with skill to execute all types of work, engraving, embroidering, the making of variegated cloth of violet, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen thread, weaving, and all other arts and crafts. Exodus chapter 36 Bezalel, therefore, will set to work with Oholiab and with all the artisans whom the Lord has endowed with skill and understanding in knowing how to do all the work for the service of the sanctuary, just as the Lord has commanded. Moses then called Bezalel and Oholiab and all the other artisans whom the Lord had endowed with skill, men whose hearts moved them to come and do the work. They received from Moses all the contributions which the Israelites had brought for the work to be done for the sanctuary service. Still, morning after morning, the people continued to bring their voluntary offerings to Moses. Thereupon, all the artisans who were doing the work for the sanctuary came from the work each was doing and told Moses, The people are bringing much more than is needed to carry out the work which the Lord has commanded us to do. Moses, therefore, ordered a proclamation to be made throughout the camp. Let neither man nor woman make any more contributions for the sanctuary. So the people stopped bringing their offerings. There was already enough at hand, and more than enough, to complete the work to be done. The Tent Cloth and Coverings the various artisans who were doing the work made the tabernacle with its ten sheets woven of fine linen twined, having cherubim embroidered on them with violet, purple, and scarlet yarn. The length of each sheet was twenty-eight cubits, and the width four cubits. All the sheets were the same size. Five of the sheets were joined together, edge to edge, and the other five sheets likewise, edge to edge. 
loops of violet yarn were made along the edge of the end sheet in the first set, and the same along the edge of the end sheet in the second set. Fifty loops were thus put on one inner sheet, and fifty loops on the inner sheet in the other set, with the loops directly opposite each other. Then fifty clasps of gold were made, with which the sheets were joined so that the tabernacle formed one whole. Sheets of goat hair were also woven as a tent over the tabernacle. Eleven such sheets were made. The length of each sheet was thirty cubits, and the width four cubits. All eleven sheets were the same size. Five of these sheets were joined into one set, and the other six sheets into another set. Fifty loops were made along the edge of the end sheet in one set, and fifty loops along the edge of the corresponding sheet in the other set. Fifty bronze clasps were made, with which the tent was joined so that it formed one whole. A covering for the tent was made of ram's skins dyed red, and above that a covering of tehash skins. The Framework Frames were made for the tabernacle, acacia wood uprights. The length of each frame was ten cubits, and the width one and a half cubits. Each frame had two arms, fastening them one to another. In this way, all the frames of the tabernacle were made. The frames for the tabernacle were made as follows. Twenty frames on the south side, with forty silver pedestals under the twenty frames, two pedestals under each frame for its two arms. Twenty frames on the other side of the tabernacle, the north side, with their forty silver pedestals, two pedestals under each frame. At the rear of the tabernacle, to the west, six frames were made, and two frames were made for the corners of the tabernacle at its rear. These were double at the bottom, and likewise double at the top to the first ring. That is how both corner frames were made. Thus there were eight frames, with their sixteen silver pedestals, two pedestals under each frame. Bars of acacia wood were also made, five for the frames on one side of the tabernacle, five for those on the other side, and five for those at the rear to the west. The center bar at the middle of the frames was made to reach across from end to end. The frames were plated with gold, and gold rings were made on them as holders for the bars, which were also plated with gold. The Veil The veil was made of violet, purple, and scarlet yarn, and of fine linen twined with cherubim embroidered on it. Four gold-plated columns of acacia wood with gold hooks were made for it, and four silver pedestals were cast for them. 
the curtain for the entrance of the tent was made of violet, purple, and scarlet yarn, and of fine linen twined, woven in a variegated manner. Its five columns with their hooks, as well as their capitals and bands, were plated with gold. Their five pedestals were of bronze. Exodus chapter 37 The Ark Bezalel made the ark of acacia wood, two and a half cubits long, one and a half cubits wide, and one and a half cubits high. The inside and outside were plated with gold, and a molding of gold was put around it. Four gold rings were cast for its four supports, two rings on one side and two on the opposite side. Poles of acacia wood were made and plated with gold. These poles were put through the rings on the sides of the ark for carrying it. The cover was made of pure gold, two and a half cubits long and one and a half cubits wide. Two cherubim of beaten gold were made for the two ends of the cover. One cherub was at one end, the other at the other end, made of one piece with the cover at each end. The cherubim had their wings spread out above, sheltering the cover. They faced each other with their faces looking toward the cover. The Table The table was made of acacia wood, two cubits long, a cubit wide, and a cubit and a half high. It was plated with pure gold, and a molding of gold was put around it. A frame a handbreadth high was also put around it, with a molding of gold around the frame. Four rings of gold were cast for it, and fastened at the four corners, one at each leg. The rings were alongside the frame as holders for the poles to carry the table. These poles for carrying the table were made of acacia wood and plated with gold. The vessels that were set on the table, its plates and cups, as well as its pitchers and bowls for pouring libations, were made of pure gold. The menorah. The menorah was made of pure beaten gold, its shaft and branches, with its cups and knobs and petals springing directly from it. Six branches extended from its sides, three branches on one side and three on the other. On one branch there were three cups, shaped like almond blossoms, each with its knob and petals. On the opposite branch there were three cups, shaped like almond blossoms, each with its knob and petals, and so for the six branches that extended from the menorah. On the menorah there were four cups, shaped like almond blossoms, with their knobs and petals. The six branches that went out from the menorah had a knob under each pair. The knobs and branches so sprang from it 
that the whole formed but a single piece of pure beaten gold. Its seven lamps, as well as its trimming shears and trays, were made of pure gold. A talent of pure gold was used for the menorah and its various utensils. The Altar of Incense The altar of incense was made of acacia wood on a square, a cubit long, a cubit wide, and two cubits high, having horns that sprang directly from it. Its grate on top, its walls on all four sides, and its horns were plated with pure gold, and a gold molding was put around it. Underneath the molding, gold rings were placed, two on one side and two on the opposite side, as holders for the poles used in carrying it. The poles, too, were made of acacia wood and plated with gold. The sacred anointing oil and the fragrant incense were prepared in their pure form by a perfumer. Exodus chapter 38 The Altar for Burnt Offerings The altar for burnt offerings was made of acacia wood on a square, five cubits long and five cubits wide. Its height was three cubits. At the four corners, horns were made that sprang directly from the altar. It was then plated with bronze. All the utensils of the altar, the pots, shovels, basins, forks, and firepans, were likewise made of bronze. A grating, a bronze network, was made for the altar and placed around it, on the ground, half as high as the altar itself. Four rings were cast for the four corners of the bronze grating as holders for the poles, which were made of acacia wood and plated with bronze. The poles were put through the rings on the sides of the altar for carrying it. The altar was made in the form of a hollow box. The bronze basin, with its bronze stand, was made from the mirrors of the women who served at the entrance of the tent of meeting. The Court of the Tabernacle The court was made as follows. On the south side, the hangings of the court were of fine linen twined a hundred cubits long, with twenty columns and twenty pedestals of bronze, the hooks and bands of the columns being of silver. On the north side, there were similar hangings a hundred cubits long, with twenty columns and twenty pedestals of bronze. The hooks and bands of the columns were of silver. On the west side there were hangings, fifty cubits long, with ten columns and ten pedestals. The hooks and bands of the columns were of silver. On the east side the court was fifty cubits. On one side there were hangings to the extent of fifteen cubits, with three columns and three pedestals. On the other side 
beyond the gate of the court, there were likewise hangings to the extent of fifteen cubits, with three columns and three pedestals. The hangings on all sides of the court were woven of fine linen twined. The pedestals of the columns were of bronze, while the hooks and bands of the columns were of silver. The capitals were silver-plated, and all the columns of the court were banded with silver. At the gate of the court there was a variegated curtain, woven of violet, purple, and scarlet yarn, and of fine linen twined, twenty cubits long and five cubits wide, in keeping with the hangings of the court. There were four columns and four pedestals of bronze for it, while their hooks were of silver and their capitals and their bands silver-plated. All the tent pegs for the tabernacle and for the court around it were of bronze. Amount of Metal Used The following is an account of the various amounts used on the tabernacle, the tabernacle of the covenant, drawn up at the command of Moses by the Levites under the direction of Ithamar, son of Aaron the priest. However, it was Bezalel, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, who made all that the Lord commanded Moses. And he was assisted by Oholiab, son of Ahisamach, of the tribe of Dan, who was an engraver, an embroiderer, and a weaver of variegated cloth of violet, purple, and scarlet yarn, and of fine linen. All the gold used in the entire construction of the sanctuary, having previously been given as an offering, amounted to twenty-nine talents and seven hundred and thirty shekels, according to the standard of the sanctuary shekel. The silver of those of the community who were enrolled was one hundred talents and one thousand seven hundred and seventy-five shekels, according to the standard of the sanctuary shekel. One becca apiece, that is, a half shekel, according to the standard of the sanctuary shekel, was received from everyone who was enrolled of twenty years or more, namely, six hundred and three thousand five hundred and fifty men. One hundred talents of silver were used for casting the pedestals of the sanctuary and the pedestals of the veil, one talent for each pedestal, or one hundred talents for the one hundred pedestals. The remaining one thousand seven hundred and seventy-five shekels were used for making the hooks on the columns, for plating the capitals, and for banding them with silver. The bronze, given as an offering, amounted to seventy talents and two thousand four hundred shekels. With this were made the pedestals at the entrance of the tent of meeting, the bronze altar with its bronze gratings, and all the utensils of the altar, the pedestals around the court, the pedestals at the gate of the court, and all the tent pegs for the tabernacle and for the court around it.
Exodus chapter 39 The Priestly Vestments With violet, purple, and scarlet yarn were woven the service cloths for use in the sanctuary, as well as the sacred vestments for Aaron, as the Lord had commanded Moses. The ephod was woven of gold thread and of violet, purple, and scarlet yarn and of fine linen twined. Gold was first hammered into gold leaf and then cut up into threads which were woven with the violet, purple, and scarlet yarn into an embroidered pattern on the fine linen. Shoulder straps were made for it and joined to its two upper ends. The embroidered belt on the ephod extended out from it, and, like it, was made of gold thread, of violet, purple, and scarlet yarn, and of fine linen twined, as the Lord had commanded Moses. The onyx stones were prepared and mounted in gold filigree work. They were engraved like seal engravings with the names of the sons of Israel. These stones were set on the shoulder straps of the ephod as memorial stones of the sons of Israel, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. The breastpiece was embroidered like the ephod with gold thread and violet, purple, and scarlet yarn on cloth of fine linen twined. It was square and folded double, a span high and a span wide in its folded form. Four rows of precious stones were mounted on it. In the first row, a carnelian, a topaz, and an emerald. In the second row, a garnet, a sapphire, and a beryl. In the third row, a jacinth, an agate, and an amethyst. In the fourth row, a chrysolite, an onyx, and a jasper. They were mounted in gold filigree work. These stones were twelve to match the names of the sons of Israel, and each stone was engraved like a seal with the name of one of the twelve tribes. Chains of pure gold, twisted like cords, were made for the breastpiece, together with two gold filigree rosettes and two gold rings. The two rings were fastened to the two upper ends of the breastpiece. The two gold chains were then fastened to the two rings at the ends of the breastpiece. The other two ends of the two chains were fastened in front to the two filigree rosettes which were attached to the shoulder straps of the ephod. Two other gold rings were made and put on the two lower ends of the breastpiece, on the edge facing the ephod. Two more gold rings were made and fastened to the bottom of the two shoulder straps, next to where they joined the ephod in front, just above its embroidered belt. Violet ribbons bound the rings of the breastpiece to the rings of the ephod, so that the breastpiece stayed right above the embroidered belt of the ephod 
and did not swing loose from it. All this was just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Other Vestments The robe of the ephod was woven entirely of violet yarn, with an opening in its center like the opening of a shirt, with salvage around the opening to keep it from being torn. At the hem of the robe, pomegranates were made of violet, purple, and scarlet yarn, and of fine linen twined. Bells of pure gold were also made and put between the pomegranates all around the hem of the robe. A bell, a pomegranate, a bell, a pomegranate, all around the hem of the robe, which was to be worn in performing the ministry. All this, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. For Aaron and his sons, there were also woven tunics of fine linen, the turban of fine linen, the ornate skull caps of fine linen, linen pants of fine linen twined, and sashes of variegated work made of fine linen twined and of violet, purple, and scarlet yarn, as the Lord had commanded Moses. The plate of the sacred diadem was made of pure gold and inscribed, as on a seal engraving, Sacred to the Lord. It was tied over the turban with a violet ribbon, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Presentation of the Work to Moses Thus the entire work of the tabernacle of the Tent of Meeting was completed. The Israelites did the work just as the Lord had commanded Moses, so it was done. They then brought to Moses the tabernacle, the tent with all its furnishings, the clasps, the frames, the bars, the columns, the pedestals, the covering of ram's skins dyed red, the covering of tehash skins, the curtain veil, the ark of the covenant with its poles, the cover, the table with all its utensils and the showbread, the pure gold menorah with its lamps set upon it and with all its utensils, the oil for the light, the golden altar, the anointing oil, the fragrant incense, the curtain for the entrance of the tent, the altar of bronze with its bronze grating, its poles, and all its utensils, the basin with its stand, the hangings of the court with their columns and pedestals, the curtain for the gate of the court with its ropes and tent pegs, all the equipment for the service of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting, the service cloths for use in the sanctuary, the sacred vestments for Aaron the priest, and the vestments to be worn by his sons in their ministry. Just as the Lord had commanded Moses, so the Israelites had carried out all the work. So when Moses saw that all the work was done just as the Lord had commanded, he blessed them. This audiobook has been broken into multiple parts to make the download faster. 
You have reached the end of a part, but not the end of the complete audiobook. So please check your library for the next part of this audiobook. The New American Bible, Revised Edition Written by the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops Confraternity of Christian Doctrine, Incorporated Narrated by Ron Daly Exodus Chapter 40 Setting Up the Tabernacle Then the Lord said to Moses, On the first day of the first month you shall set up the tabernacle of the tent of meeting. Put the ark of the covenant in it, and screen off the ark with the veil. Bring in the table and set it. Then bring in the menorah and set up the lamps on it. Put the golden altar of incense in front of the Ark of the Covenant, and hang the curtain at the entrance of the tabernacle. Put the altar for burnt offerings in front of the entrance of the tabernacle of the Tent of Meeting. Place the basin between the Tent of Meeting and the altar, and put water in it. Set up the court round about, and put the curtain at the gate of the court. Take the anointing oil, and anoint the tabernacle and everything in it, consecrating it and all its furnishings, so that it will be sacred. Anoint the altar for burnt offerings and all its utensils, consecrating it so that it will be most sacred. Likewise, anoint the basin with its stand, and thus consecrate it. Then bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance of the tent of meeting, and there wash them with water. Clothe Aaron with the sacred vestments and anoint him, thus consecrating him as my priest. Bring forward his sons also, and clothe them with the tunics. As you have anointed their father, anoint them also as my priests. Thus, by being anointed, shall they receive a perpetual priesthood throughout all future generations. Moses did just as the Lord had commanded him. On the first day of the first month of the second year, the tabernacle was set up. It was Moses who set up the tabernacle. He placed its pedestals, set up its frames, put in its bars, and set up its columns. He spread the tent over the tabernacle and put the covering on top of the tent as the Lord had commanded him. He took the covenant and put it in the ark. He placed poles alongside the ark and set the cover upon it. He brought the ark into the tabernacle and hung the curtain veil, thus screening off the ark of the covenant as the Lord had commanded him. He put the table in the tent of meeting on the north side of the tabernacle, outside the veil, and arranged the bread on it before the Lord as the Lord had commanded him. He placed the menorah in the tent of meeting opposite the table on the south side of the tabernacle, and he set up the lamps before the Lord as the Lord had commanded him.
He placed the golden altar in the tent of meeting, in front of the veil, and on it he burned fragrant incense, as the Lord had commanded him. He hung the curtain at the entrance of the tabernacle. He put the altar for burnt offerings in front of the entrance of the tabernacle of the tent of meeting, and sacrificed burnt offerings and grain offerings on it, as the Lord had commanded him. He placed the basin between the tent of meeting and the altar, and put water in it for washing. Moses and Aaron and his sons used to wash their hands and feet there, for they washed themselves whenever they went into the tent of meeting or approached the altar, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Finally, he set up the court around the tabernacle and the altar and hung the curtain at the gate of the court. Thus Moses finished all the work. God's Presence in the Tabernacle Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting, because the cloud settled down upon it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Whenever the cloud rose from the tabernacle, the Israelites would set out on their journey. But if the cloud did not lift, they would not go forward. Only when it lifted did they go forward. The cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire in the cloud at night, in the sight of the whole house of Israel in all the stages of their journey. The Book of Leviticus Introduction The name Leviticus was given to the third book of the Pentateuch by the ancient Greek translators because a good part of this book deals with concerns of the priests who are of the tribe of Levi. The book mainly treats cultic matters, in other words, sacrifices and offerings, purity and holiness, the priesthood, the operation of the sanctuary, and feast days, but is also interested in various behavioral, ethical, and economic issues, for example, sexual practices, idolatrous worship, treatment of others, the sale of land, slavery. The goal of the laws is not merely legislative. For the most part, they cohere as a system and attempt to inculcate a way of life in the book's hearers and readers. In addition to these concerns, Leviticus, comprising as it does the center of the Pentateuch, carries forward the narrative of Exodus. See chapters 1, 8 and 9, 10, 16, and 24. The book is part of the priestly tradition, P, of the Pentateuch, to which belong various narratives and legal passages. For example, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, through chapter 2, verse 4, chapter 9, verses 1 through 17, chapter 17, verses 1 through 27, Exodus chapter 12, 
verses 1 through 20, and verses 40 through 50. Chapter 25, verse 1, through chapter 31, verse 18. Chapter 35, verse 1, through chapter 40, verse 38. Numbers, chapter 1, verse 1, through chapter 10, verse 28. Chapter 15, verses 1 through 14. Chapter 17, verse 1, through chapter 19, verse 22. Chapter 25, verse 6, through chapter 31, verse 54. Within the priestly material itself, there are signs of variant traditions and development. The main divisions of Leviticus are Section 1, Ritual of Sacrifices, Chapter 1, verse 1, through chapter 7, verse 38. A. Instructions for the Israelites, Chapter 1, verse 1, through chapter 5, verse 26. B. Instructions for the Priests, Chapter 6, verse 1, through chapter 7, verse 38. Section 2. Ceremony of Ordination, Chapter 8, verse 1, through chapter 10, verse 20. Section 3. Laws Regarding Ritual Purity, Chapter 11, verse 1, through chapter 16, verse 34. Section 4. Holiness Laws, Chapter 17, verse 1, through chapter 26, verse 46. Section 5. Redemption of Offerings, Chapter 27, Verses 1 through 34. Leviticus, Section 1, Ritual of Sacrifices. A. Instructions for the Israelites, Chapter 1, Burnt Offerings. The Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. Speak to the Israelites, and tell them, When any one of you brings an offering of livestock to the Lord, you shall bring your offering from the herd or from the flock. If a person's offering is a burnt offering from the herd, the offering must be a male without blemish. The individual shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting to find favor with the Lord, and shall lay a hand on the head of the burnt offering, so that it may be acceptable to make atonement for the one who offers it. The bull shall then be slaughtered before the Lord, and Aaron's sons, the priests, shall offer its blood by splashing it on all the sides of the altar which is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Then the burnt offering shall be flayed and cut into pieces. After Aaron's sons, the priests, have put burning embers on the altar and laid wood on them, they shall lay the pieces of meat together with the head and the suet on top of the wood and the embers on the altar. But the inner organs and the shanks shall be washed with water. The priest shall then burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering, a sweet-smelling oblation to the Lord.
If a person's burnt offering is from the flock, that is, a sheep or a goat, the offering must be a male without blemish. It shall be slaughtered on the north side of the altar before the Lord, and Aaron's sons, the priests, shall splash its blood on all the sides of the altar. When it has been cut into pieces, the priest shall lay these together with the head and suet on top of the wood and the embers on the altar. But the inner organs and the shanks shall be washed with water. The priest shall then offer all of it, burning it on the altar. It is a burnt offering, a sweet-smelling oblation to the Lord. If a person offers a bird as a burnt offering to the Lord, the offering brought must be a turtle dove or a pigeon. Having brought it to the altar, the priest shall wring its head off and burn it on the altar. The blood shall be drained out against the side of the altar. He shall remove its chrism by means of its feathers and throw it on the ash heap at the east side of the altar. Then, having torn the bird open by its wings without separating the halves, the priest shall burn it on the altar on the wood and the embers. It is a burnt offering, a sweet-smelling oblation to the Lord. Leviticus chapter 2 Grain Offerings When anyone brings a grain offering to the Lord, the offering must consist of bran flour. The offerer shall pour oil on it and put frankincense over it, and bring it to Aaron's sons, the priests. A priest shall take a handful of the bran flour and oil, together with all the frankincense, and shall burn it on the altar as a token of the offering, a sweet-smelling oblation to the Lord. The rest of the grain offering belongs to Aaron and his sons, a most holy portion from the oblations to the Lord. When you offer a grain offering baked in an oven, it must be in the form of unleavened cakes made of bran flour mixed with oil, or of unleavened wafers spread with oil. If your offering is a grain offering that is fried on a griddle, it must be of bran flour mixed with oil and unleavened. Break it into pieces and pour oil over it. It is a grain offering. If your offering is a grain offering that is prepared in a pan, it must be made of bran flour fried in oil. A grain offering that is made in any of these ways you shall bring to the Lord. It shall be presented to the priest who shall take it to the altar. The priest shall then remove from the grain offering a token and burn it on the altar as a sweet-smelling oblation to the Lord. The rest of the grain offering belongs to Aaron and his sons, a most holy portion from the oblations to the Lord. Every grain offering that you present to the Lord shall be unleavened, 
for you shall not burn any leaven or honey as an oblation to the Lord. Such you may present to the Lord in the offering of the first produce that is processed, but they are not to be placed on the altar for a pleasing odor. You shall season all your grain offerings with salt. Do not let the salt of the covenant with your God be lacking from your grain offering. On every offering you shall offer salt. If you offer a grain offering of first ripe fruits to the Lord, you shall offer it in the form of fresh early grain roasted by fire and crushed as a grain offering of your first ripe fruits. You shall put oil on it and set frankincense on it. It is a grain offering. The priest shall then burn some of the groats and oil together with all the frankincense as a token of the offering, an oblation to the Lord. Leviticus chapter 3 Communion Sacrifices If a person's offering is a communion sacrifice, if it is brought from the herd, be it a male or a female animal, it must be presented without blemish before the Lord. The one offering it shall lay a hand on the head of the offering. It shall then be slaughtered at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Aaron's sons, the priests, shall splash its blood on all the sides of the altar. From the communion sacrifice, the individual shall offer as an oblation to the Lord the fat that covers the inner organs and all the fat that adheres to them, as well as the two kidneys with the fat on them near the loins and the lobe of the liver which is removed with the kidneys. Aaron's sons shall burn this on the altar with the burnt offering that is on the wood and the embers as a sweet-smelling oblation to the Lord. If the communion sacrifice one offers to the Lord is from the flock, be it a male or a female animal, it must be presented without blemish. If one presents a lamb as an offering, that person shall bring it before the Lord, and after laying a hand on the head of the offering, it shall then be slaughtered before the tent of meeting. Aaron's sons shall splash its blood on all the sides of the altar. From the communion sacrifice, the individual shall present as an oblation to the Lord its fat, the whole fatty tail which is removed close to the spine, the fat that covers the inner organs and all the fat that adheres to them, as well as the two kidneys with the fat on them near the loins and the lobe of the liver which is removed with the kidneys. The priest shall burn this on the altar as food, an oblation to the Lord. If a person's offering is a goat, the individual shall bring it before the Lord, and after laying a hand on its head, it shall then be slaughtered before the tent of meeting. Aaron's sons shall splash its blood on all the sides of the altar. From this, the one sacrificing shall present an offering as an oblation to the Lord, the fat that covers the inner organs, 
and all the fat that adheres to them, as well as the two kidneys with the fat on them near the loins, and the lobe of the liver which is removed with the kidneys. The priest shall burn these on the altar as food, a sweet-smelling oblation. All the fat belongs to the Lord. This shall be a perpetual ordinance for your descendants wherever they may dwell. You shall not eat any fat or any blood. Leviticus chapter 4 Purification Offerings The Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites, When a person inadvertently does wrong by violating any one of the Lord's prohibitions, for the anointed priest. If it is the anointed priest who thus does wrong, and thereby makes the people guilty, he shall offer to the Lord an unblemished bull of the herd as a purification offering for the wrong he committed. Bringing the bull to the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord, he shall lay his hand on its head and slaughter it before the Lord. The anointed priest shall then take some of the bull's blood and bring it into the tent of meeting, where, dipping his finger in the blood, he shall sprinkle some of it seven times before the Lord toward the veil of the sanctuary. The priest shall also put some of the blood on the horns of the altar of fragrant incense, which stands before the Lord in the tent of meeting. The rest of the bull's blood he shall pour out at the base of the altar for burnt offerings, which is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. He shall remove all the fat of the bull of the purification offering, the fat that covers the inner organs, and all the fat that adheres to them, as well as the two kidneys, with the fat on them near the loins, and the lobe of the liver, which is removed with the kidneys, just as the fat pieces are removed from the ox of the communion sacrifice. The priest shall burn these on the altar for burnt offerings. But the hide of the bull and its meat with its head, shanks, inner organs, and dung, that is, the whole bull, shall be brought outside the camp to a clean place where the ashes are deposited and there be burned in a wood fire. At the place of the ash heap, there it must be burned. For the community If the whole community of Israel errs inadvertently, and, without even being aware of it, violates any of the Lord's prohibitions, and thus are guilty, when the wrong that was committed becomes known, the community shall offer a bull of the herd as a purification offering they shall bring it before the tent of meeting. The elders of the community shall lay their hands on the bull's head before the Lord. When the bull has been slaughtered before the Lord, the anointed priest shall bring some of its blood into the tent of meeting, and, dipping his finger in the blood, he shall sprinkle it seven times before the Lord toward the veil. He shall also put some of the blood on the horns of the altar, which is before the Lord in the tent of meeting. The rest of the blood he shall pour out at the base of the altar for burnt offerings, 
which is at the entrance of the tent of meeting. He shall remove all of its fat and burn it on the altar, doing with this bull just as he did with the other bull of the purification offering. He will do the same thing. Thus the priest shall make atonement on their behalf that they may be forgiven. This bull shall also be brought outside the camp and burned just as the first bull. It is a purification offering for the assembly. For the tribal leader Should a tribal leader do wrong inadvertently by violating any one of the prohibitions of the Lord his God and thus be guilty, when he learns of the wrong he committed, he shall bring as his offering an unblemished male goat. He shall lay his hand on its head, and it shall be slaughtered in the place where the burnt offering is slaughtered before the Lord. It is a purification offering. The priest shall then take some of the blood of the purification offering on his finger and put it on the horns of the altar for burnt offerings. The rest of the blood he shall pour out at the base of the altar. All of its fat he shall burn on the altar like the fat of the communion sacrifice. Thus the priest shall make atonement on the tribal leader's behalf for his wrong that he may be forgiven. For the general populace. If any one of the general populace does wrong inadvertently by violating one of the Lord's prohibitions and thus is guilty, upon learning of the wrong committed, that person shall bring an unblemished she-goat as the offering for the wrong committed. The wrongdoer shall lay a hand on the head of the purification offering, and the purification offering shall be slaughtered at the place of the burnt offerings. The priest shall then take some of its blood on his finger and put it on the horns of the altar for burnt offerings. The rest of the blood he shall pour out at the base of the altar. He shall remove all the fat, just as the fat is removed from the communion sacrifice. The priest shall burn it on the altar for a sweet odor to the Lord. Thus, the priest shall make atonement so that the individual may be forgiven. If, however, a person brings a lamb as a purification offering, that person shall bring an unblemished female and lay a hand on its head. It shall be slaughtered as a purification offering in the place where the burnt offering is slaughtered. The priest shall then take some of the blood of the purification offering on his finger, and put it on the horns of the altar for burnt offerings. The rest of the blood he shall pour out at the base of the altar. He shall remove all its fat, just as the fat is removed from the lamb of the communion sacrifice. The priest shall burn these on the altar with the other oblations for the Lord. Thus the priest shall make atonement on the person's behalf for the wrong committed, that the individual may be forgiven. Leviticus chapter 5 Special Cases for Purification Offerings If a person, either having seen or come to know something, 
does wrong by refusing as a witness under oath to give information, that individual shall bear the penalty. Or if someone, without being aware of it, touches any unclean thing, such as the carcass of an unclean wild animal, or an unclean domestic animal, or an unclean swarming creature, and thus is unclean and guilty. Or if someone, without being aware of it, touches some human uncleanness, whatever kind of uncleanness this may be, and then subsequently becomes aware of guilt. Or if someone, without being aware of it, rashly utters an oath with bad or good intent, whatever kind of oath this may be, and then subsequently becomes aware of guilt in regard to any of these matters, when someone is guilty in regard to any of these matters, that person shall confess the wrong committed and make reparation to the Lord for the wrong committed. A female animal from the flock, a ewe lamb or a she-goat, as a purification offering. Thus the priest shall make atonement on the individual's behalf for the wrong. If, however, the person cannot afford an animal of the flock, that person shall bring to the Lord as reparation for the wrong committed two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a purification offering and the other for a burnt offering. The guilty party shall bring them to the priest who shall offer the one for the purification offering first. Wringing its head at the neck, yet without breaking it off, he shall sprinkle some of the blood of the purification offering against the side of the altar. The rest of the blood shall be drained out against the base of the altar. It is a purification offering. The other bird he shall offer as a burnt offering according to procedure. Thus the priest shall make atonement on the person's behalf for the wrong committed, so that the individual may be forgiven. If the person is unable to afford even two turtle doves or two pigeons, that person shall bring as an offering for the wrong committed one-tenth of an ephah of bran flour for a purification offering. The guilty party shall not put oil or place frankincense on it, because it is a purification offering. The individual shall bring it to the priest, who shall take a handful as a token of the offering, and burn it on the altar with the other oblations for the Lord. It is a purification offering. Thus the priest shall make atonement on the person's behalf, for the wrong committed in any of the above cases, so that the individual may be forgiven. The rest of the offering, like the grain offering, shall belong to the priest. Reparation Offerings The Lord said to Moses, When a person commits sacrilege by inadvertently misusing any of the Lord's sacred objects, the wrongdoer shall bring to the Lord as reparation an unblemished ram from the flock at the established value in silver shekels, according to the sanctuary shekel, 
as a reparation offering. The wrongdoer shall also restore what has been misused of the sacred objects, adding a fifth of its value, and give this to the priest. Thus the priest shall make atonement for the person with the ram of the reparation offering, so that the individual may be forgiven. If someone does wrong and violates one of the Lord's prohibitions without realizing it, that person is guilty and shall bear the penalty. The individual shall bring to the priest an unblemished ram of the flock at the established value for a reparation offering. The priest shall then make atonement on the offerer's behalf for the error inadvertently and unknowingly committed so that the individual may be forgiven. It is a reparation offering. The individual must make reparation to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, When someone does wrong and commits sacrilege against the Lord by deceiving a neighbor about a deposit or a pledge or a stolen article or by otherwise retaining a neighbor's goods unjustly or if, Having found a lost article, the person lies about it, swearing falsely about any of the things that a person may do wrong. When someone has thus done wrong and is guilty, that person shall restore the thing that was stolen, the item unjustly retained, the item left as deposit, or the lost article that was found, or whatever else the individual swore falsely about. That person shall make full restitution of the thing itself and add one-fifth of its value to it, giving it to its owner at the time of reparation. Then that person shall bring to the priest, as reparation to the Lord, an unblemished ram of the flock at the established value as a reparation offering. The priest shall make atonement on the person's behalf before the Lord so that the individual may be forgiven for whatever was done to incur guilt. Leviticus B. Instructions for the Priests Chapter 6 The Daily Burnt Offering The Lord said to Moses, Give Aaron and his sons the following command. This is the ritual for the burnt offering the burnt offering that is to remain on the hearth of the altar all night until the next morning, while the fire is kept burning on the altar. The priest, clothed in his linen robe and wearing linen pants underneath, shall take away the ashes to which the fire has reduced the burnt offering on the altar and lay them at the side of the altar. Then, Having taken off these garments and put on other garments, he shall carry the ashes to a clean place outside the camp. The fire on the altar is to be kept burning. It must not go out. Every morning the priest shall put firewood on it. On this he shall lay out the burnt offering and burn the fat of the communion offering. The fire is to be kept burning continuously on the altar. It must not go out. 
the grain offering. This is the ritual of the grain offering. Aaron's sons shall offer it before the Lord in front of the altar. A priest shall then take from the grain offering a handful of bran flour and oil, together with all the frankincense that is on it, and this he shall burn on the altar as a token of the offering, a sweet aroma to the Lord. The rest of it Aaron and his sons may eat, but it must be eaten unleavened in a sacred place. In the court of the tent of meeting they shall eat it. It shall not be baked with leaven. I have given it to them as their portion from the oblations for the Lord. It is most holy, like the purification offering and the reparation offering. Every male of Aaron's descendants may eat of it perpetually throughout your generations as their rightful due from the oblations for the Lord. Whatever touches the oblations becomes holy. High Priest Daily Grain Offering The Lord said to Moses, This is the offering that Aaron and his sons shall present to the Lord on the day he is anointed. One-tenth of an ephah of bran flour for the regular grain offering, half of it in the morning and half of it in the evening. You shall bring it well kneaded and fried in oil on a griddle. Having broken the offering into pieces, you shall present it as a sweet aroma to the Lord. The anointed priest descended from Aaron, who succeeds him, shall do likewise. This is the Lord's due forever. The offering shall be wholly burned. Every grain offering of a priest shall be a whole offering. It may not be eaten. Purification Offerings The Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron and his sons, This is the ritual for the purification offering. At the place where the burnt offering is slaughtered, there also before the Lord shall the purification offering be slaughtered. It is most holy. The priest who offers the purification offering shall eat of it. It shall be eaten in a sacred place in the court of the tent of meeting. Whatever touches its flesh becomes holy. If any of its blood spatters on a garment, the stained part must be washed in a sacred place. A clay vessel in which it has been boiled shall be broken. If it is boiled in a copper vessel, this shall be scoured afterward and rinsed with water. Every male of the priestly line may eat it. It is most holy. But no purification offering, of which some blood has been brought into the tent of meeting to make atonement in the sanctuary, shall be eaten. It must be burned with fire. Leviticus chapter 7 Reparation Offerings This is the ritual for the reparation offering. It is most holy. At the place where the burnt offering is slaughtered, the reparation offering shall also be slaughtered. Its blood shall be splashed on all sides of the altar.
all of its fat shall be offered, the fatty tail, the fat that covers the inner organs and all the fat that adheres to them, as well as the two kidneys with the fat on them near the loins, and the lobe of the liver which is removed with the kidneys. The priest shall burn these on the altar as an oblation to the Lord. It is a reparation offering. Every male of the priestly line may eat of it, but it must be eaten in a sacred place. It is most holy. Because the purification offering and the reparation offering are alike, both have the same ritual. The reparation offering belongs to the priest who makes atonement with it. As for the priest who offers someone's burnt offering, to him belongs the hide of the burnt offering that is offered. Also, every grain offering that is baked in an oven or made in a pan or on a griddle shall belong to the priest who offers it, whereas all grain offerings that are mixed with oil or are dry shall belong to all of Aaron's sons without distinction. Communion Sacrifices This is the ritual for the communion sacrifice that is offered to the Lord. If someone offers it for thanksgiving, that person shall offer it with unleavened cakes mixed with oil, unleavened wafers spread with oil, and cakes made of bran flour mixed with oil and well kneaded. One shall present this offering together with loaves of leavened bread along with the thanksgiving communion sacrifice. From this, the individual shall offer one bread of each type of offering as a contribution to the Lord. This shall belong to the priest who splashes the blood of the communion offering. The meat of the thanksgiving communion sacrifice shall be eaten on the day it is offered. None of it may be kept till the next morning. However, if the sacrifice offered is a votive or a voluntary offering, it shall be eaten on the day the sacrifice is offered, and on the next day what is left over may be eaten. But what is left over of the meat of the sacrifice on the third day must be burned in the fire. If indeed any of the flesh of the communion sacrifice is eaten on the third day, it shall not be accepted. It will not be reckoned to the credit of the one offering it. Rather, it becomes a desecrated meat. Anyone who eats of it shall bear the penalty. Should the meat touch anything unclean, it may not be eaten, but shall be burned in the fire. As for other meat, all who are clean may eat of it. If, however, someone in a state of uncleanness eats the meat of a communion sacrifice belonging to the Lord, that person shall be cut off from the people. Likewise, if someone touches anything unclean, whether it be human uncleanness or an unclean animal or an unclean loathsome creature, and then eats the meat of the communion sacrifice belonging to the Lord, that person too shall be cut off 
from the people. Prohibition Against Blood and Fat The Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites, You shall not eat the fat of any ox or sheep or goat. Although the fat of an animal that has died a natural death or has been killed by wild beasts may be put to any other use, you may not eat it. If anyone eats the fat of an animal from which an oblation is made to the Lord, that person shall be cut off from the people. Wherever you dwell, you shall not eat any blood, whether of bird or of animal. Every person who eats any blood shall be cut off from the people. Portions from the Communion Sacrifice for Priests The Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites, The person who offers a communion sacrifice to the Lord shall be the one to bring from it the offering to the Lord. The offerer's own hands shall carry the oblations for the Lord. The person shall bring the fat together with the brisket, which is to be raised as an elevated offering before the Lord. The priest shall burn the fat on the altar, but the brisket belongs to Aaron and his sons. Moreover, from your communion sacrifices, you shall give to the priest the right leg as a contribution. The one among Aaron's sons who offers the blood and the fat of the communion offering shall have the right leg as his portion, for from the communion sacrifices of the Israelites I have taken the brisket that is elevated and the leg that is a contribution, and I have given them to Aaron the priest and to his sons as their due from the Israelites forever. This is the priestly share from the oblations for the Lord allotted to Aaron and his sons on the day they were brought forth to be the priests of the Lord, which the Lord ordered to be given them from the Israelites on the day they were anointed as their due throughout their generations forever. Summary this is the ritual for the burnt offering, the grain offering, the purification offering, the reparation offering, the ordination offering, and the communion sacrifice, which the Lord enjoined on Moses at Mount Sinai at the time when he commanded the Israelites in the wilderness of Sinai to bring their offerings to the Lord. Leviticus, Section 2 Ceremony of Ordination Chapter 8 Ordination of Aaron and His Sons The Lord said to Moses, Take Aaron along with his sons, the vestments, the anointing oil, the bull for a purification offering, the two rams, and the basket of unleavened bread, then assemble the whole community at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Moses did as the Lord had commanded. When the community had assembled at the entrance of the tent of meeting, Moses told them, This is what the Lord has ordered to be done. Bringing forward Aaron and his sons, Moses first washed them with water, 
Then he put the tunic on Aaron, girded him with the sash, clothed him with the robe, placed the ephod on him, and girded him with the ephod's embroidered belt, fastening the ephod on him with it. He then set the breastpiece on him, putting the Urim and the Thummim in it. He put the turban on his head, attaching the gold medallion, the sacred headband, on the front of the turban, as the Lord had commanded Moses to do. Taking the anointing oil, Moses anointed and consecrated the tabernacle and all that was in it. Then he sprinkled some of the oil seven times on the altar, and anointed the altar with all its utensils and the laver with its base to consecrate them. He also poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. Moses likewise brought forward Aaron's sons, clothed them with tunics, girded them with sashes, and put skullcaps on them, as the Lord had commanded him to do. Ordination Sacrifices He brought forward the bull for a purification offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on its head. When it was slaughtered, Moses took the blood, and with his finger he put it on the horns around the altar, thus purifying the altar. He poured out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar. Thus he consecrated it so that atonement could be made on it. Taking all the fat that was over the inner organs, as well as the lobe of the liver and the two kidneys with their fat, Moses burned them on the altar. The bull, however, with its hide and flesh and dung, he burned in the fire outside the camp, as the Lord had commanded Moses to do. He next brought forward the ram of the burnt offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on its head. When it was slaughtered, Moses splashed the blood on all sides of the altar. After the ram was cut up into pieces, Moses burned the head, the cut-up pieces, and the suet. After the inner organs and the shanks were washed with water, Moses burned these remaining parts of the ram on the altar. It was a burnt offering for a sweet aroma, an oblation to the Lord, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Then he brought forward the second ram, the ordination ram, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on its head. When it was slaughtered, Moses took some of its blood and put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear, on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. Moses had the sons of Aaron also come forward, and he put some of the blood on the lobes of their right ears, on the thumbs of their right hands, and on the big toes of their right feet. The rest of the blood he splashed on all the sides of the altar. He then took the fat, the fatty tail, and all the fat over the inner organs, the lobe of the liver, and the two kidneys with their fat, and likewise the right thigh.
from the basket of unleavened bread that was set before the Lord, he took one unleavened cake, one loaf of bread made with oil, and one wafer. These he placed on top of the portions of fat and the right thigh. He then put all these things upon the palms of Aaron and his sons, whom he had raised them as an elevated offering before the Lord. When Moses had removed them from their palms, he burned them on the altar with the burnt offering. They were an ordination offering for a sweet aroma, an oblation to the Lord. He then took the brisket and raised it as an elevated offering before the Lord. This was Moses' own portion of the ordination ram, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Taking some of the anointing oil and some of the blood that was on the altar, Moses sprinkled it upon Aaron and his vestments, as well as his sons and their vestments, thus consecrating both Aaron and his vestments and his sons and their vestments. Moses said to Aaron and his sons, Boil the meat at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and there eat it with the bread that is in the basket of the ordination offering, in keeping with the command I have received, Aaron and his sons shall eat of it. What is left over of the meat and the bread you shall burn in the fire. Moreover, you are not to depart from the entrance of the tent of meeting for seven days until the days of your ordination are completed, for your ordination is to last for seven days. What has been done today, the Lord has commanded be done to make atonement for you. You must remain at the entrance of the tent of meeting day and night for seven days, carrying out the prescriptions of the Lord so that you do not die, for this is the command I have received. So Aaron and his sons did all that the Lord had commanded through Moses. Leviticus chapter 9 Octave of the Ordination On the eighth day, Moses summoned Aaron and his sons, together with the elders of Israel, and said to Aaron, Take a calf of the herd for a purification offering, and a ram for a burnt offering, both without blemish, and offer them before the Lord. Tell the Israelites too, Take a he-goat for a purification offering, a calf and a lamb, both unblemished yearlings, for a burnt offering, and an ox and a ram for a communion sacrifice, to sacrifice before the Lord, along with a grain offering mixed with oil. For today the Lord will appear to you. So they brought what Moses had ordered before the tent of meeting. When the whole community had come forward and stood before the Lord, Moses said, This is what the Lord orders you to do, that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. Approach the altar, Moses then told Aaron, and make your purification offering and your burnt offering in atonement for yourself and for your household. Then make the offering of the people in atonement for them, as the Lord has commanded.
Approaching the altar, Aaron first slaughtered the calf of the purification offering that was his own offering. When his sons presented the blood to him, he dipped his finger in the blood and put it on the horns of the altar. The rest of the blood he poured out at the base of the altar. He then burned on the altar the fat, the kidneys, and the lobe of the liver from the purification offering, as the Lord had commanded Moses. But the flesh and the hide he burned in the fire outside the camp. Then Aaron slaughtered the burnt offering. When his sons brought him the blood, he splashed it on all sides of the altar. They then brought him the pieces and the head of the burnt offering, and he burned them on the altar. Having washed the inner organs and the shanks, he burned these also with the burnt offering on the altar. Then he had the people's offering brought. Taking the goat that was for the people's purification offering, he slaughtered it and offered it as a purification offering as before. Then he brought forward the burnt offering and offered it according to procedure. He then presented the grain offering. Taking a handful of it, he burned it on the altar in addition to the morning burnt offering. Finally, he slaughtered the ox and the ram, the communion sacrifice of the people. When his sons brought him the blood, Aaron splashed it on all sides of the altar. The portions of fat from the ox and from the ram the fatty tail, the covering fat, the kidneys, and the lobe of the liver they placed on top of the briskets. Aaron burned the fat pieces on the altar, but the briskets and the right thigh he raised as an elevated offering before the Lord, as the Lord had commanded Moses. Revelation of the Lord's Glory Aaron then raised his hands over the people and blessed them. When he came down from offering the purification offering, the burnt offering, and the communion offering, Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. On coming out, they blessed the people. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Fire came forth from the Lord's presence and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. Seeing this, all the people shouted with joy and fell prostrate. Leviticus chapter 10 Nadab and Abihu Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, took their censers, and, putting incense on the fire they had set in them, they offered before the Lord unauthorized fire, such as he had not commanded. Fire, therefore, came forth from the Lord's presence and consumed them, so that they died in the Lord's presence. Moses then said to Aaron, This is as the Lord said, Through those near to me I will be sanctified. In the sight of all the people I will obtain glory. But Aaron said nothing. Then Moses summoned Mishael and Elzaphan, 
the sons of Aaron's uncle, Uziel, with the order, Come, carry your kinsmen from before the sanctuary to a place outside the camp. So they drew near and carried them by means of their tunics outside the camp as Moses had commanded. Conduct of the Priests Moses said to Aaron and his sons Eleazar and Ithamar, Do not dishevel your hair or tear your garments, lest you die and bring God's wrath also on the whole community. While your kindred, the rest of the house of Israel, may mourn for those whom the Lord's fire has burned up, you shall not go beyond the entrance of the tent of meeting, else you shall die. For the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. So they did as Moses told them. The Lord said to Aaron, When you are to go to the tent of meeting, you and your sons are forbidden by a perpetual statute throughout your generations to drink any wine or strong drink, lest you die. You must be able to distinguish between what is sacred and what is profane, and between what is clean and what is unclean. And you must be able to teach the Israelites all the statutes that the Lord has given them through Moses. The Eating of the Priestly Portions Moses said to Aaron and his surviving sons, Eleazar and Ithamar, Take the grain offering left over from the oblations to the Lord, and eat it beside the altar in the form of unleavened cakes, since it is most holy. You must eat it in a sacred place, because it is your and your sons' due from the oblations to the Lord. Such is the command I have received. The brisket of the elevated offering, and the leg of the contribution, however, you and your sons and daughters may eat in a clean place. For these have been assigned to you and your children as your due from the communion sacrifices of the Israelites. The leg of the contribution, and the brisket of the elevated offering, shall be brought in with the oblations of fat to be raised as an elevated offering before the Lord. They shall belong to you and your children as your due forever, as the Lord has commanded. Moses inquired closely about the goat of the purification offering and discovered that it had all been burned. So he was angry with the surviving sons of Aaron, Eleazar and Ithamar, and said, Why did you not eat the purification offering in the sacred place, since it is most holy? It has been given to you that you might remove the guilt of the community and make atonement for them before the Lord. Since its blood was not brought inside the sanctuary, you should certainly have eaten the offering in the sanctuary as I was commanded. Aaron answered Moses, Even though they presented their purification offering and burnt offering before the Lord today, still this misfortune has befallen me. 
Had I then eaten of the purification offering today, would it have been pleasing to the Lord? On hearing this, Moses was satisfied. Leviticus section 3 Laws regarding ritual purity chapter 11 Clean and unclean meats The Lord said to Moses and Aaron Speak to the Israelites and tell them Of all land animals these are the ones you may eat Any animal that has hoofs you may eat provided it is cloven-footed and choose the cud. But you shall not eat any of the following from among those that only chew the cud or only have hoofs. The camel, which indeed chews the cud, but does not have hoofs and is therefore unclean for you. The rock hyrax, which indeed chews the cud, but does not have hoofs and is therefore unclean for you. The hare, which indeed chews the cud, but does not have hoofs, and is therefore unclean for you. And the pig, which does indeed have hoofs, and is cloven-footed, but does not chew the cud, and is therefore unclean for you. You shall not eat their meat, and you shall not touch their carcasses. They are unclean for you. Of the various creatures that live in the water, you may eat the following. Whatever in the seas or in river waters that has both fins and scales, you may eat. But of the creatures that swarm in the water, or of animals that otherwise live in the water, whether in the sea or in the rivers, all those that lack either fins or scales, are loathsome for you, and shall always be loathsome to you. Their meat you shall not eat, and their carcasses you shall loathe. Every water creature that lacks fins or scales is loathsome for you. Of the birds, these you shall loathe. They shall not be eaten, they are loathsome. The griffin vulture the bearded vulture, the black vulture, the kite, the various species of falcons, the various species of crows, the eagle owl, the kestrel, the long-eared owl, the various species of hawks, the little owl, the cormorant, the screech owl, the barn owl, the horned owl, the osprey, the stork, the various species of herons, the hoopoe, and the bat. The various winged insects that walk on all fours are loathsome for you. But of the various winged insects that walk on all fours, you may eat those that have legs jointed above their feet for leaping on the ground. Hence of these you may eat the following. The various kinds of locusts, the various kinds of bald locusts, the various kinds of crickets, and the various kinds of grasshoppers. All other winged insects that have four legs are loathsome for you. You become unclean by the following. 
Anyone who touches their carcasses shall be unclean until evening, and anyone who carries any part of their carcasses shall wash his garments and be unclean until evening. By all hoofed animals that are not cloven-footed or do not chew the cud, they are unclean for you. Anyone who touches them becomes unclean. Also, by the various quadrupeds that walk on paws, they are unclean for you. Anyone who touches their carcasses shall be unclean until evening, and anyone who carries their carcasses shall wash his garments and be unclean until evening. They are unclean for you. Of the creatures that swarm on the ground, the following are unclean for you. The rat, the mouse, the various kinds of lizards, the gecko, the spotted lizard, the agama, the skink, and the chameleon. Among the various swarming creatures, these are unclean for you. Everyone who touches them when they are dead shall be unclean until evening. Everything on which one of them falls when dead becomes unclean, including any article of wood, cloth, leather, or goat hair, any article of which use can be made. It must be immersed in water and remain unclean until evening when it again becomes clean. Should any of these creatures fall into a clay vessel, everything in it becomes unclean, and the vessel itself you must break. Any food that can be eaten, which makes contact with water, and any liquid that may be drunk, in any such vessel become unclean. Any object on which any part of their carcasses falls becomes unclean. If it is an oven or a stove, this must be broken to pieces. They are unclean and shall always be unclean to you. However, a spring or a cistern for collecting water remains clean. But whoever touches such an animal's carcass becomes unclean. If any part of their carcasses falls on any sort of grain that is to be sown, it remains clean. But if the grain has become moistened, it becomes unclean to you when any part of their carcasses falls on it. When one of the animals that you could otherwise eat dies of itself, anyone who touches its carcass shall be unclean until evening. And anyone who eats any part of its carcass shall wash his garments and be unclean until evening. So also... Anyone who carries its carcass shall wash his garments and be unclean until evening. All the creatures that swarm on the ground are loathsome and shall not be eaten. Whether it crawls on its belly, goes on all fours, or has many legs, any creature that swarms on the earth, you shall not eat them. They are loathsome. Do not make yourselves loathsome by any swarming creature, nor defile yourselves with them 
and so become unclean by them. For I, the Lord, am your God. You shall make and keep yourselves holy, because I am holy. You shall not make yourselves unclean, then, by any swarming creature that crawls on the ground. Since I, the Lord, am the one who brought you up from the land of Egypt, that I might be your God, you shall be holy, because I am holy. This is the instruction for land animals, birds, and all the creatures that move about in the water, as well as any animal that swarms on the ground, that you may distinguish between the clean and the unclean, and between creatures that may be eaten and those that may not be eaten. Leviticus chapter 12 Uncleanness of Childbirth The Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites, When a woman has a child giving birth to a boy, she shall be unclean for seven days with the same uncleanness as during her menstrual period. On the eighth day, the flesh of the boy's foreskin shall be circumcised, and then she shall spend thirty-three days more in a state of blood purity. She shall not touch anything sacred, nor enter the sanctuary, till the days of her purification are fulfilled. If she gives birth to a girl, for fourteen days she shall be as unclean as during her menstrual period, after which she shall spend sixty-six days in a state of blood purity. When the days of her purification for a son or for a daughter are fulfilled, she shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting a yearling lamb for a burnt offering and a pigeon or a turtle dove for a purification offering. The priest shall offer them before the Lord to make atonement for her, and thus she will be clean again after her flow of blood. Such is the ritual for the woman who gives birth to a child, male or female. If, however, she cannot afford a lamb, she may take two turtle doves or two pigeons, the one for a burnt offering and the other for a purification offering. The priest shall make atonement for her, and thus she will again be clean. Leviticus chapter 13 Scaly Infection The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When someone has on the skin a mark, lesion, or blotch, which appears to develop into a scaly infection, the person shall be brought to Aaron the priest, or to one of the priests among his sons. If the priest, upon examination of the skin's infection, finds that the hair on the infection has turned white, and the infection itself appears to be deeper than the skin, it is indeed a scaly infection. The priest, on seeing this, shall declare the person unclean. If, however, the blotch on the skin is white, but does not seem to be deeper than the skin, nor has the hair turned white, the priest shall quarantine the afflicted person for seven days. 
Should the priest, upon examination on the seventh day, find that the infection has remained unchanged in color and has not spread on the skin, the priest shall quarantine the person for another seven days. Should the priest, upon examination again on the seventh day, find that the infection is now faded and has not spread on the skin, the priest shall declare the person clean. It was merely a scab. The person shall wash his garments and so become clean. But if, after the person was examined by the priest and declared clean, the scab spreads at all on the skin, the person shall once more be examined by the priest. Should the priest, upon examination, find that the scab has indeed spread on the skin, he shall declare the person unclean. It is a scaly infection. When someone is afflicted with a scaly infection, that person shall be brought to the priest. Should the priest, upon examination, find that there is a white mark on the skin which has turned the hair white and that there is raw flesh in it, it is a chronic scaly infection on the skin. The priest shall declare the person unclean without quarantine, since the individual is certainly unclean. If the scaly infection breaks out on the skin, and, as far as the priest can see, covers all the skin of the afflicted person from head to foot, should the priest then, upon examination, find that the scaly infection does cover the whole body, he shall declare the afflicted person clean. Since the person has turned completely white, that individual is clean. But as soon as raw flesh appears, the individual is unclean. On observing the raw flesh, the priest shall declare the person unclean because raw flesh is unclean. It is a scaly infection. If, however, the raw flesh again turns white, the person shall return to the priest. Should the latter, upon examination, find that the infection has indeed turned white, he shall declare the afflicted person clean. The individual is clean. If a boil appeared on a person's skin which later healed, should now, in the place of the boil, a white mark or a reddish-white blotch develop, the person shall be examined by the priest. If the latter, upon examination, finds that it is deeper than the skin, and that the hair has turned white, he shall declare the person unclean. It is a scaly infection that has broken out in the boil. But if the priest, upon examination, finds that there is no white hair in it, and that it is not deeper than the skin, and is faded, the priest shall quarantine the person for seven days. If it has then spread on the skin, the priest shall declare the person unclean. It is an infection. But if the blotch remains the same without spreading, it is merely the scar of the boil. The priest shall therefore declare the person clean. If there was a burn on a person's skin, 
and the burned area now becomes a reddish-white or a white blotch, when the priest, upon examination, finds that the hair has turned white in the blotch, and this seems to be deeper than the skin, it is a scaly infection that has broken out in the burn. The priest shall therefore declare the person unclean. It is a scaly infection. But if the priest, upon examination, finds that there is no white hair in the blotch, and that this is not deeper than the skin, and is faded, the priest shall quarantine the person for seven days. Should the priest, upon examination on the seventh day, find that it has spread at all on the skin, he shall declare the person unclean. It is a scaly infection. But if the blotch remains the same without spreading on the skin and is faded, it is merely the spot of the burn. The priest shall therefore declare the person clean since it is only the scar of the burn. When a man or a woman has an infection on the head or in the beard, should the priest, upon examination, find that the infection appears to be deeper than the skin and that there is fine yellow hair in it, the priest shall declare the person unclean. It is a skull. It is a scaly infection of the head or beard. But if the priest, upon examining the skull infection, finds that it does not appear to be deeper than the skin, though the hair in it may not be black, the priest shall quarantine the skull-stricken person for seven days. Should the priest, upon examining the infection on the seventh day, find that the skull has not spread and has no yellow hair in it and does not seem to be deeper than the skin, the person shall shave but not the skull spot. Then the priest shall quarantine the skull diseased person for another seven days. If the priest, upon examining the skull on the seventh day, finds that it has not spread on the skin and that it does not appear to be deeper than the skin, he shall declare the person clean. The latter shall wash his garments and will thus be clean. But if the skull spreads at all on the skin after the person has been declared clean, should the priest, upon examination, find that the skull has indeed spread on the skin, he need not look for yellow hair. The individual is unclean. If, however, the skull has remained unchanged in color and black hair has grown in it, the disease has been healed. The person is clean, and the priest shall declare the individual clean. When the skin of a man or a woman is spotted with several white blotches, if the priest, upon examination, finds that the blotches on the skin are pale white, it is only tetter that has broken out on the skin, and the person, therefore, is clean. When a man loses the hair of his head, he is simply bald on the crown and not unclean. So too, if he loses the hair on the front of his head, 
he is simply bald on the forehead and not unclean. But when there is a reddish-white infection on his bald crown or bald forehead, it is a scaly infection that is breaking out there. If the priest, upon examination, finds that the infection spot on the bald area on the crown or forehead has the same reddish-white appearance as that of a scaly infection of the skin, the man has a scaly infection and is unclean. The priest shall declare him unclean. His infection is on his head. The garments of one afflicted with a scaly infection shall be rent and the hair disheveled and the mustache covered. The individual shall cry out, Unclean! Unclean! As long as the infection is present, the person shall be unclean. Being unclean, that individual shall dwell apart, taking up residence outside the camp. Fungal Infection of Fabrics and Leather When a fungal infection is on a garment of wool or of linen, or on the warp and woof of linen or wool, or on a hide or anything made of leather, if the infection on the garment or hide, or on the warp or woof, or on any leather article is greenish or reddish, the thing is indeed a fungal infection and must be examined by the priest. Having examined the infection, the priest shall quarantine the infected article for seven days. If the priest, upon inspecting the infection on the seventh day, finds that it has spread on the garment, or on the warp or woof, or on the leather, whatever be its use, the infection is a harmful fungus, the article is unclean. He shall therefore burn up the garment, or the warp or woof, be it of wool or linen, or any leather article which is infected. Since it is a harmful fungus, it must be destroyed by fire. But if the priest, upon examination, finds that it has not spread on the garment, or on the warp or woof, or on the leather article, he shall give orders to have the infected article washed, and then quarantined for another seven days. If the priest, upon examination after the infection was washed, finds that it has not changed its color, even though it may not have spread, the article is unclean. You shall burn it with fire. It is a fray, be it on its inner or outer side. But if the priest, upon examination, finds that the infection has faded after the washing, he shall cut it out of the garment, or the leather, or the warp or woof. If, however, the infection again appears on the garment, or on the warp or woof, or on the leather article, it is still virulent, and you shall burn the thing infected with fire. But if, after the washing, the infection has disappeared from the garment, or the warp or woof, or the leather article, the thing shall be washed a second time, and thus it will be clean. 
This is the instruction for a fungal infection on a garment of wool or linen, or on a warp or woof, or on any leather article, to determine whether it is clean or unclean. Leviticus chapter 14 Purification after scaly infection The Lord said to Moses, This is the ritual for someone that had a scaly infection at the time of that person's purification. The individual shall be brought to the priest who is to go outside the camp. If the priest, upon inspection, finds that the scaly infection has healed in the afflicted person, he shall order that two live, clean birds, as well as some cedar wood, scarlet yarn, and hyssop, be obtained for the one who is to be purified. The priest shall then order that one of the birds be slaughtered over an earthen vessel with fresh water in it. Taking the living bird with the cedar wood, the scarlet yarn, and the hyssop, the priest shall dip them, including the live bird, in the blood of the bird that was slaughtered over the fresh water, and then sprinkle seven times on the person to be purified from the scaly infection. When he has thus purified that person, he shall let the living bird fly away over the countryside. The person being purified shall then wash his garments, shave off all hair, and bathe in water, and so become clean. After this, the person may come inside the camp, but shall still remain outside his or her tent for seven days. On the seventh day, this individual shall again shave off all hair of the head, beard, and eyebrows. All hair must be shaved, and also wash his garments and bathe the body in water, and so become clean. On the eighth day, the individual shall take two unblemished male lambs, one unblemished yearling ewe lamb, three-tenths of an ephah of bran flour mixed with oil for a grain offering, and one log of oil. The priest who performs the purification ceremony shall place the person who is being purified, as well as all these offerings, before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Taking one of the male lambs, the priest shall present it as a reparation offering, along with the log of oil, raising them as an elevated offering before the Lord. This lamb shall be slaughtered in the sacred place where the purification offering and the burnt offering are slaughtered, because the reparation offering is like the purification offering. It belongs to the priest and is most holy. Then the priest shall take some of the blood of the reparation offering and put it on the lobe of the right ear, the thumb of the right hand, and the big toe of the right foot of the person being purified. The priest shall also take the log of oil and pour some of it into the palm of his own left hand. Then, dipping his right finger in the oil on his left palm, he shall sprinkle some of it with his finger seven times before the Lord. Of the oil left in his hand, 
the priest shall put some on the lobe of the right ear, the thumb of the right hand, and the big toe of the right foot of the person being purified over the blood of the reparation offering. The rest of the oil in his hand the priest shall put on the head of the one being purified. Thus shall the priest make atonement for the individual before the Lord. The priest shall next offer the purification offering, thus making atonement on behalf of the one being purified from the uncleanness. After this, the burnt offering shall be slaughtered. The priest shall offer the burnt offering and the grain offering on the altar before the Lord. Thus shall the priest make atonement for the person, and the individual will become clean. Poor Person's Sacrifices If a person is poor and cannot afford so much, that person shall take one male lamb for a reparation offering to be used as an elevated offering in atonement, one-tenth of an ephah of bran flour mixed with oil for a grain offering, a log of oil, and two turtle doves or pigeons, which the individual can more easily afford, the one as a purification offering and the other as a burnt offering. On the eighth day of purification, the person shall bring them to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord. Taking the lamb of the reparation offering, along with the log of oil, the priest shall raise them as an elevated offering before the Lord. When the lamb of the reparation offering has been slaughtered, the priest shall take some of its blood and put it on the lobe of the right ear, on the thumb of the right hand, and on the big toe of the right foot of the person being purified. The priest shall then pour some of the oil into the palm of his own left hand, and with his right finger sprinkle some of the oil in his left palm seven times before the Lord. Some of the oil in his hand the priest shall also put on the lobe of the right ear, the thumb of the right hand, and the big toe of the right foot of the person being purified, where he had sprinkled the blood of the reparation offering. The rest of the oil in his hand the priest shall put on the head of the one being purified. Thus shall he make atonement for the individual before the Lord. Then of the turtle doves or pigeons, such as the person can afford, the priest shall offer one as a purification offering and the other as a burnt offering along with the grain offering. Thus shall the priest make atonement before the Lord for the person who is being purified. This is the ritual for one afflicted with a scaly infection who has insufficient means for purification. Fungal Infection of Houses The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When you come into the land of Canaan, which I am giving you to possess, if I put a fungal infection in any house of the land you occupy, the owner of the house shall come and report to the priest, Something like an infection has appeared in my house. The priest shall then order the house to be cleared out before he goes in to examine the infection, 
lest everything in the house become unclean. Only after this is he to go in to examine the house. If the priest, upon inspection, finds that the infection on the walls of the house consists of greenish or reddish spots which seem to go deeper than the surface of the wall, he shall go out of the house to the doorway and quarantine the house for seven days. On the seventh day the priest shall return. If, upon inspection, he finds that the infection has spread on the walls, he shall order the infected stones to be pulled out and cast in an unclean place outside the city. The whole inside of the house shall then be scraped, and the mortar that has been scraped off shall be dumped in an unclean place outside the city. Then other stones shall be brought and put in the place of the old stones, and new mortar obtained and plastered on the house. If the infection breaks out once more in the house, after the stones have been pulled out and the house has been scraped and replastered, the priest shall come. And if, upon inspection, he finds that the infection has spread in the house, it is a corrosive fungus in the house, and it is unclean. It shall be pulled down, and all its stones, beams, and mortar shall be hauled away to an unclean place outside the city. Whoever enters a house while it is quarantined shall be unclean until evening. Whoever sleeps or eats in such a house shall also wash his garments. If the priest finds, when he comes to the house, that the infection has in fact not spread in the house after the plastering, he shall declare the house clean since the infection has been healed. To purify the house, he shall take two birds, as well as cedar wood, scarlet yarn, and hyssop. One of the birds he shall slaughter over an earthen vessel with fresh water in it. Then, taking the cedar wood, the hyssop, and the scarlet yarn, together with the living bird, he shall dip them all in the blood of the slaughtered bird and the fresh water, and sprinkle the house seven times. Thus he shall purify the house with the bird's blood and the fresh water, along with the living bird, the cedar wood, the hyssop, and the scarlet yarn. He shall then let the living bird fly away over the countryside outside the city. Thus he shall make atonement for the house, and it will be clean. This is the ritual for every kind of human scaly infection and skull, and for fungus diseases in garments and houses, for marks, lesions, and blotches, to give direction when there is a state of uncleanness and when a state of cleanness. This is the ritual for scaly infection. Leviticus chapter 15 Sexual Uncleanness The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Speak to the Israelites and tell them, When any man has a genital discharge, he is thereby unclean. Such is his uncleanness from this discharge, whether his body drains freely with the discharge or is blocked up from the discharge. His uncleanness is on him 
all the days that his body discharges or is blocked up from his discharge. This is his uncleanness. Any bed on which the man with the discharge lies is unclean, and any article on which he sits is unclean. Anyone who touches his bed shall wash his garments, bathe in water, and be unclean until evening. Whoever sits on an article on which the man with the discharge was sitting shall wash his garments, bathe in water, and be unclean until evening. Whoever touches the body of the man with the discharge shall wash his garments, bathe in water, and be unclean until evening. If the man with the discharge spits on a clean person, the latter shall wash his garments, bathe in water, and be unclean until evening. Any saddle on which the man with the discharge rides is unclean. Whoever touches anything that was under him shall be unclean until evening. Whoever carries any such thing shall wash his garments, bathe in water, and be unclean until evening. Anyone whom the man with the discharge touches with his unrenched hands shall wash his garments, bathe in water, and be unclean until evening. Earthenware touched by the man with the discharge shall be broken, and every wooden article shall be rinsed with water. When a man with a discharge becomes clean of his discharge, he shall count seven days for his purification. Then he shall wash his garments and bathe his body in fresh water, and so he will be clean. On the eighth day he shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons, and going before the Lord to the entrance of the tent of meeting, he shall give them to the priest who shall offer them up, the one as a purification offering and the other as a burnt offering. Thus shall the priest make atonement before the Lord for the man because of his discharge. When a man has an emission of semen, he shall bathe his whole body in water and be unclean until evening. Any piece of cloth or leather with semen on it shall be washed with water and be unclean until evening. If a man has sexual relations with a woman, they shall both bathe in water and be unclean until evening. When a woman has a flow of blood from her body, she shall be in a state of menstrual uncleanness for seven days. Anyone who touches her shall be unclean until evening. Anything on which she lies or sits during her menstrual period shall be unclean. Anyone who touches her bed shall wash his garments, bathe in water, and be unclean until evening. Whoever touches any article on which she was sitting shall wash his garments, bathe in water, and be unclean until evening. Whether an object is on the bed or on something she sat upon, when the person touches it, that person shall be unclean until evening. If a man lies with her, 
he contracts her menstrual uncleanness and shall be unclean for seven days. Every bed on which he then lies also becomes unclean. When a woman has a flow of blood for several days outside her menstrual period, or when her flow continues beyond the ordinary period, as long as she suffers this unclean flow, she shall be unclean, just as during her menstrual period. Any bed on which she lies during such a flow becomes unclean, as it would during her menstrual period and any article on which she sits becomes unclean just as during her menstrual period. Anyone who touches them becomes unclean. That person shall wash his garments, bathe in water, and be unclean until evening. When she becomes clean from her flow, she shall count seven days. After this she becomes clean. On the eighth day she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons and bring them to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting. The priest shall offer one of them as a purification offering and the other as a burnt offering. Thus shall the priest make atonement before the Lord for her because of her unclean flow. You shall warn the Israelites of their uncleanness lest they die through their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle, which is in their midst. This is the ritual for the man with a discharge or who has an emission of semen and thereby becomes unclean, as well as for the woman who has her menstrual period, or one who has a discharge, male or female, and also for the man who lies with an unclean woman. Leviticus chapter 16 The Day of Atonement After the death of Aaron's two sons, who died when they encroached on the Lord's presence, the Lord spoke to Moses and said to him, Tell your brother Aaron that he is not to come whenever he pleases into the inner sanctuary, inside the veil, in front of the cover on the ark, lest he die, for I reveal myself in a cloud above the ark's cover. Only in this way may Aaron enter the inner sanctuary. He shall bring a bull of the herd for a purification offering, and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall wear the sacred linen tunic, with the linen pants underneath, gird himself with the linen sash, and put on the linen turban. But since these vestments are sacred, he shall not put them on until he has first bathed his body in water. From the Israelite community he shall receive two male goats for a purification offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull, his purification offering, to make atonement for himself and for his household. Taking the two male goats, and setting them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting, he shall cast lots to determine which one is for the Lord and which for Azazel. The goat that is determined by lot for the Lord, Aaron shall present and offer up 
as a purification offering. But the goat determined by Lot for Azazel, he shall place before the Lord alive, so that with it he may make atonement by sending it off to Azazel in the desert. Thus shall Aaron offer his bull for the purification offering to make atonement for himself and for his family. When he has slaughtered it, he shall take a censer full of glowing embers from the altar before the Lord, as well as a double handful of finely ground fragrant incense, and, bringing them inside the veil, there before the Lord he shall put incense on the fire, so that a cloud of incense may shield the cover that is over the covenant, else he will die. Taking some of the bull's blood, he shall sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the ark's cover, and likewise sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times in front of the cover. Then he shall slaughter the goat of the people's purification offering, and bringing its blood inside the veil, he shall do with it as he did with the bull's blood, sprinkling it on the ark's cover and in front of it. Thus he shall purge the inner sanctuary of all the Israelites' impurities and trespasses, including all their sins. He shall do the same for the tent of meeting, which is set up among them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one else may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters the inner sanctuary to make atonement until he departs. When he has made atonement for himself and his household, as well as for the whole Israelite assembly, he shall come out to the altar before the Lord and purge it also. Taking some of the bull's and the goat's blood, he shall put it on the horns around the altar, and with his finger sprinkle some of the blood on it seven times. Thus he shall purify it and sanctify it from the impurities of the Israelites. The Scapegoat When he has finished purging the inner sanctuary, the tent of meeting, and the altar, Aaron shall bring forward the live goat. Laying both hands on its head, he shall confess over it all the iniquities of the Israelites and their trespasses, including all their sins, and so put them on the goat's head. He shall then have it led into the wilderness by an attendant. The goat will carry off all their iniquities to an isolated region. When the goat is dispatched into the wilderness, Aaron shall go into the tent of meeting, strip off the linen vestments he had put on when he entered the inner sanctuary, and leave them in the tent of meeting. After bathing his body with water in a sacred place, he shall put on his regular vestments, and then come out and offer his own and the people's burnt offering in atonement for himself and for the people, and also burn the fat of the purification offering on the altar. The man who led away the goat for Azazel shall wash his garments and bathe his body in water. Only then may he enter the camp. 
the bull and the goat of the purification offering, whose blood was brought to make atonement in the inner sanctuary, shall be taken outside the camp, where their hides and flesh and dung shall be burned in the fire. The one who burns them shall wash his garments and bathe his body in water. Only then may he enter the camp. The Fast This shall be an everlasting statute for you. On the tenth day of the seventh month, every one of you, whether a native or a resident alien, shall humble yourselves and shall do no work. For on this day atonement is made for you to make you clean. Of all your sins you will be cleansed before the Lord. It shall be a Sabbath of complete rest for you, on which you must humble yourselves, an everlasting statute. This atonement is to be made by the priest who has been anointed and ordained to the priesthood in succession to his father. He shall wear the linen garments, the sacred vestments, and purge the most sacred part of the sanctuary, as well as the tent of meeting and the altar. He shall also make atonement for the priests and all the people of the assembly. This, then, shall be an everlasting statute for you. Once a year, atonement shall be made on behalf of the Israelites for all their sins. And Moses did as the Lord had commanded him. Leviticus, Section 4 Holiness Laws Chapter 17 Sacredness of Blood the Lord said to Moses, Speak to Aaron and his sons, as well as to all the Israelites, and tell them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Any Israelite who slaughters an ox or a sheep or a goat, whether in the camp or outside of it, without first bringing it to the entrance of the tent of meeting to present it as an offering to the Lord, in front of the Lord's tabernacle, shall be judged guilty of bloodshed. That individual has shed blood and shall be cut off from the people. This is so that such sacrifices as they used to offer in the open field, the Israelites shall henceforth bring to the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting, to the priest, and sacrifice them there as communion sacrifices to the Lord. The priest will splash the blood on the altar of the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting and burn the fat for an odor pleasing to the Lord. No longer shall they offer their sacrifices to the demons with whom they prostituted themselves. This shall be an everlasting statute for them and their descendants. Tell them, therefore, anyone, whether of the house of Israel or of the aliens residing among them, who offers a burnt offering or sacrifice without bringing it to the entrance of the tent of meeting to offer it to the Lord, shall be cut off from the people. As for anyone, whether of the house of Israel or of the aliens residing among them, who consumes any blood, 
I will set myself against that individual and will cut that person off from among the people, since the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement on the altar for yourselves, because it is the blood as life that makes atonement. That is why I have told the Israelites, no one among you, not even a resident alien, may consume blood. Anyone hunting, whether of the Israelites or of the aliens residing among them, who catches an animal or a bird that may be eaten, shall pour out its blood and cover it with earth, since the life of all flesh is its blood. I have told the Israelites, you shall not consume the blood of any flesh. Since the life of all flesh is its blood, anyone who consumes it shall be cut off. Everyone, whether a native or an alien, who eats of an animal that died of itself or was killed by a wild beast, shall wash his garments, bathe in water, and be unclean until evening, and then become clean. If one does not wash his garments and bathe, that person shall bear the penalty. Leviticus chapter 18 Laws Concerning Sexual Behavior The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and tell them, I, the Lord, am your God. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt where you once lived, nor shall you do as they do in the land of Canaan where I am bringing you. Do not conform to their customs. My decrees you shall carry out, and my statutes you shall take care to follow. I, the Lord, am your God. Keep, then, my statutes and decrees, for the person who carries them out will find life through them. I am the Lord. None of you shall approach a close relative to have sexual intercourse. I am the Lord. You shall not disgrace your father by having intercourse with your mother. She is your own mother. You shall not have intercourse with her. You shall not have intercourse with your father's wife, for that would be a disgrace to your father. You shall not have intercourse with your sister, your father's daughter, or your mother's daughter, whether she was born in your own household or born elsewhere. You shall not have intercourse with your son's daughter or with your daughter's daughter, for that would be a disgrace to you. You shall not have intercourse with the daughter whom your father's wife bore to him in his household, since she too is your sister. You shall not have intercourse with your father's sister, since she is your father's relative. You shall not have intercourse with your mother's sister, since she is your mother's relative. You shall not disgrace your father's brother by having sexual relations with his wife, since she, too, is your aunt. You shall not have intercourse with your daughter-in-law. 
She is your son's wife. You shall not have intercourse with her. You shall not have intercourse with your brother's wife. That would be a disgrace to your brother. You shall not have intercourse with a woman and also with her daughter. Nor shall you marry and have intercourse with her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter. They are related to her. This would be shameful. While your wife is still living, you shall not marry her sister as her rival, and